You're listening to Earshot from WXXI News. I'm Veronica Volk. This week, as people slowly return to the office after a year of working from home, their dogs are not happy. The data that we're collecting right now is indicating that we're going to see epic proportions of separation-related behavior. And Michael Lasser, the longtime host of WXXI's music program, Fascinating Rhythm, is retiring. Now that I can get out, I'm going to go to restaurants and eat with my friends. <laughs> Plus, we'll hear from Malik Evans, who is poised to become Rochester's next mayor after winning the Democratic primary on Tuesday. It was because we had a message, and it was because we were so connected to what I call the grassroots folks, the folks that are on the ground, not the political chattering class. All that from your local news podcast, Earshot. So I recently came back to the office a couple days a week. And it's been really good, actually, to see all my colleagues that work here and feel that energy and put this show together, actually. The one who isn't happy about it is the dog. He's home alone now for the first time in over a year, and he's a wreck. Apparently, we're not alone in this. My colleague Beth Adams looked into it and found a lot of people are in this position. They're transitioning back into the office, and their animals don't know what's going on, and they're having a hard time adjusting. She also talked to some people who might be able to help. Beth has this story. For most of the last 15 months, Ingrid Bach has rarely left her Penfield home. I was even having my food delivered. I was taking COVID very seriously, and so... uh, For months on end, I didn't leave the house more than to check the mail. The Rochester Philharmonic Orchestra cellist has several dogs, including Diesel. He's a 12-year-old Yorkshire Terrier mix. After she was fully vaccinated, Bach, who is also a dog trainer, started to venture out more often. And that's when she noticed some new behaviors in Diesel. He would be right on my heels. It was hard to get get through a doorway because he was trying to stick right to me. And also, he would then bark if I shut the door and was on the other side of it. He And he sounded quite frantic. It was really sad. Diesel was experiencing separation anxiety, a condition in which a dog becomes distressed when it's not with its person. It's not at all uncommon. About 50% of dogs in the U.S. have some sort of separation-related behavioral problem, according to Malena DiMartini. She's an expert in separation anxiety in dogs. DiMartini thinks the problem will become even more widespread as people start to transition back to their pre-pandemic routines. The data that we're collecting right now is indicating that we're going to see epic proportions of separation-related behavior. We are inundated, inundated with clients right now. The separation anxiety training program DiMartini developed over 20 years ago isn't complicated, but it does require time and a lot of patience. She tells clients to not allow their dog to be alone for a moment longer than the dog can tolerate. There is no question about the limit of a dog's ability to endure separation because a camera will be set up in the house and the trainer and or owner will be observing the dog on a live video stream. For instance, if I say to Sally, who is the owner of, uh, of Fluffy, I'd like you to leave for five minutes, we want to be watching that dog live so that we know at what point in time that dog starts to experience or display any indicators of anxiety. 
Dogs with separation anxiety might whine, bark, and howl, chew, and scratch. Some may even urinate or defecate in their home. But Demartini implores people to not punish their dogs by shouting at them or forcing them to wear a shock collar or a citronella collar. Doing that, she says, would not only be unfair to the animal, it would intensify the dog's anxiety. We're saying, you know, wow, you're so afraid of being alone, and now I'm going to use some punishment to tell you you're a bad dog, and now alone time is actually even more frightening. She says even dogs who don't have a history of anxiety may benefit from the gradual separation method, and so can their people. As opposed to saying, all right, doggy, suck it up, this might be scary, you know, we can do things in small increments. Just really gradual introduction to any new, particularly scary stimulus is important for animals. Bach and Diesel are making progress, but they're still working on it. He's getting used to my being gone now. He's not fully over it, though. So by the time my um, job really opens up, I've got to be doing better with him. Beth Adams is the host of Morning Edition for WXXI. This weekend is the final broadcast of Fascinating Rhythm. The Peabody Award-winning, nationally syndicated weekly radio show started right here at WXXI 40 years ago. Host Michael Lasser is signing off. And after he announced his retirement, he sat down to talk to our Arts and Life editor, Jeff Spivak, about his life, his show, and how it all began with weekly radio essays. The station got a small grant for local radio essays. And I'd always written, so I started doing an essay a week. One week I read in the Times that it was Oklahoma's 35th anniversary. I wrote about Oklahoma. And it got response. So I said to John Prophet, who was then the radio guy, should I do one on musicals every week? And he said, absolutely. And six months later, they asked me to turn it into a weekly show. So uh, how has it evolved over the years? At first, it was much more focused on the Broadway musical. But over time, I broadened it to include the whole range of the Great American Songbook meaning commercial, mainstream, popular music, 1920 to 1950, between the wars, essentially. And then I cheat. I go back to the first years when ragtime, jazz, and the blues were shaping the music. And and after 1950, when someone like Stephen Sondheim, who's certainly part of the songbook. The music seems to reflect history a lot. It does. In particular, maybe between the wars, World War I, World War II, all the songs bring that era to life not only in the feel of the song, but in the content of the song. Uh, The 20s was the party after the war that will end all wars, and the party was going to last forever. Ain't she sweet, five foot two. And the 30s, the depression, the songs get smokier and darker. And then the 40s, the sense of loneliness and longing in them is palpable. Do you think the kind of music that uh, Fascinating Rhythm focuses on is being written today? It's being written by occasional writers. It's obviously not the center of musical attention anymore. 
But if you want to get a sense of its lasting appeal, and that's the subject of the book I've just started working on. It's called Lovely Day Tomorrow, The Lasting Appeal of the Great American Songbook. The title comes from an Irving Berlin song. Take your grandkid to a revival of a Broadway musical and watch the delight spread over the kid's face. The richness of the music and the, and the lyrics is such that it's, if you listen, how do you resist it? I mean, I'm, I despair of lyric writing today. What do you mean you despair? Too many of the songwriters now, the lyricists, don't have a feel for the music that's in the language itself. The task of the lyricist, and it's hard, is to merge the music in language to the music that the composer has written and make them this new third thing, a song. So who did it best? I got a whole list for you. (laughs) But if you want one name. One name. Irving Berlin. Why? Simplicity is a virtue. Accessibility is a virtue in these songs. It's easy to write simply. It's hard to write simply in a way that calls forth emotion. And he was the master of that. Simple emotions, emotions that we all feel. And make them real somehow. Do you hear um, some of these songs being socially relevant, like, like going after an issue? That was not what they did. They were craftsmen and women, but they were combination craftsmen and businessmen. They formed their own publishing companies because that's where the money was. You know, a lot of them were Jewish. They were immigrants or mostly the children of immigrants. They were connected to that world. But it's rarely in their songs. They were reporting on America's emotional life. The Peabody Award, 1995. How did that happen? Somebody who was from Rochester and had was on, I think, the station board or had been on the station board sent medicine to somebody, not to me, not to Dave, that she thought the show merited applying. And it was it was an odd suggestion because the Peabody virtually never honors a music show. But we did, we applied. And my God, we won. And what did they see in, in your show? They said that it was about the way in which the commentary brought the songs alive. And also insight into the world that produced because there's an element of social history in those programs. So retirement doesn't mean going away. Retirement means moving on to something else. What are you going to do? I took early retirement from teaching. Since then, I've published three books. A fourth is at the publishers. I'm waiting to hear, and I've started a fifth. And what else are you going to do? Now that I can get out, I'm going to go to restaurants and eat with my friends. <laughs> I'm going to visit my daughter in Connecticut. You know, just life. And I read voraciously. So the days go by. I'm not bored. There are days when I'm sad because I lost my wife 21 months ago, plus COVID. There are days when I'm still very sad. I miss her. 62 years. 
But the days go by. I Zoom with my daughter every day. She's been my uh, my lifeline. And with your retirement, you're going to continue that life. One of the reasons I stopped doing the show is, is because I didn't want to work with the deadline anymore. At 85, I think I'm entitled. But I also love these big projects. A book. Uh, I just have to learn to write faster at my age. <laughs> But, you know, it's, it, people keep saying, are you sorry you're stopping? And I said, no, I, you know, I'm glad. I, it's time. And I'm content yeah. in the best sense. Michael Lasser is the soon-to-be former host of Fascinating Rhythm. And Jeff Spivak is the arts and life editor at WXXI. You can find old episodes of Fascinating Rhythm at classical915.org. And finally, we had an election this week. And while there were a lot of races, one that everyone is talking about is the Democratic mayoral primary. Because in Rochester, the winner of that race typically becomes the mayor. And on Tuesday, incumbent mayor Lovely Warren lost to challenger Malik Evans. My colleague Evan Dawson talked to Malik Evans on WXXI's Connections. They talked about his win and what he plans to do in the office as the new mayor. Here's that interview. You definitely did it your way. You ran this campaign from day one, and I said this on the air last night. This wasn't just a case where there were the concerns about the arrest of the mayor's estranged husband, and you know, I'm sure you had people in your ear saying, you got to make statements, you got to go after this. It was day one when the mayor's campaign alleged that you were just trying to hold black women down, and you made the decision, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to punch back as hard or harder. That's not the way I'm going to feel comfortable, and that's not what I'm in this race for. I am sure people were telling you to do it differently, and you must feel vindicated now. I do feel vindicated. I think oftentimes you have a lot of political geniuses who think that they are experts as it relates to politics, but that wasn't what I was hearing on the ground. You have to remember that I rolled out several policy proposals, um, and that was what was resonating with people. And I said this at a press conference with some of your colleagues in the media, and they asked why um, I believe I think I won. It was because we had a message, and it was because we were so connected uh, to what I call the grassroots folks, the folks that are on the ground, not the political chattering class. Um, and we uh, did it our way. Uh, I always tell the story of when I was uh, upset about something and I, and I showed it on the news. My parents called me and said, what's going on with you? That's not you. Um, so my father always said, to thine self, always be true. And uh, regardless of how this race went, win or lose, I wanted to be true to myself and, and my values. And I'm glad that I was able to do that. You know, it's a long seven months before you become mayor. And Mayor Warren last night was unequivocal. She said that she acknowledges that the city has chosen a new direction, that she is going to pray for and support you. She asked her supporters to do the same. Did she call you last night? She did call me, but unfortunately I missed her call because the room was so, so loud. And I think I was, um, uh, you know, the music, I mean, you couldn't hear anything. So I, um, I, I missed her call. So we've been playing phone tag, but she was extremely gracious in her concession speech. I was grateful for that. Uh, and it's very important to have a smooth transition. So I look forward to working with her for the next six months. And um, even after that, um, as I do, as I talk with other mayors, you know, I've talked to every other mayor um, regularly, uh, Duffy, Johnson, uh, uh, 
um, Richards, all those uh, folks are personal friends of mine. So um, I hope that I will be able to still uh, talk to her throughout this transition and uh, going forward. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, it was gracious. In fact, I thought it was pure class from the mayor to say what she said in what must have been a hard moment. But when you actually do get about to doing the work during the next seven months, there's a lot, I mean, to state the obvious, as you know, there's a lot that's happening now that the mayor will have a hand in, that you as a member of city council will have a hand in, as the mayor-elect you will have a hand in, uh, whether it's the police accountability board getting set up and uh, the selection of the next permanent police chief. Right. All of these things are are happening at, at a time of transition, but it's a long one. What needs to happen between <laughs> you and the mayor to make sure that this happens smoothly? Well, we have to make sure that we are communicating regularly on what it is that um, is left, uh, what it is that is coming up. Um, and, and obviously, you don't want to be presumptuous because you're not the mayor yet. and She still does have time left. But I think it is very important for us um, to make sure that we um, have our transition um, set up so she can know where we are trying to go with what it is that we're trying to do. So that way we can be ready to hit the ground running. Because in the end, it's going to have to be about uh, the city, what's best for the city. And what's best for the city is that you have someone who's ready to go January 1st. So that means um, setting up, you know, goal teams for various departments, making sure that the transition transition is ready. All things that I've already thought about, uh, because I think that any good candidate should do that. You always have to uh, ask yourself, okay, if you win, what will you do? And how will you do about doing that? And that's why we went about rolling out this compact with the community, which is pretty comprehensive uh, around ideas that we want to roll out. So um, I'm hoping that some of that stuff can start now in terms of the things that we want to do. Um, and, you know, I think some of it will, will um, complement with uh, some of the stuff that's going on right now. Obviously, public safety can't wait. We can't wait uh, months to try to stop the carnage that we see on our streets, the things that we will all have to work on right now as a community. When, when you think about what you can get done in a, in a maybe short order of time here, I know throughout the campaign you were urging the media to ask about the actual specific policies, to get into the issues, to get into the plans that you have been working so hard on. But as you say, the, the mayor is going to be the mayor for a number of months to come here. And you, know, you and the mayor may not agree entirely on certain ideas. What is an example of something that you think you can get done from your set of specific policy proposals relatively quickly, even if that's having to wait until 2022? Well, I think some of the things that we can look at is, the, you know, my, my large scale comprehensive youth jobs program. That's something that I will start working on immediately because that involves both private sector and public sector um, work. Um, I spoke with Chuck Schumer, uh, majority leader this morning, and he is going he, he, he told me that he will work very hard with Treasury to ensure that we have maximum flexibility for the $200 million stimulus funds that are going to be coming into Rochester, $100 million this year, $100 million next year. So uh, I think that we will have access to that as well as um, public-private partnerships. We can start sketching out what this large-scale youth jobs program um, would, would look like. So that's something that I think uh, we can start working on almost immediately. And lastly, when we look at the history in this city over the last decade or so, there are city leaders who have been have been incarcerated for corruption. There have been all kinds of issues uh, in the current administration. You know, I asked you the last time you were on the program about Lacayas Sinclair and the very painful allegations that a number of women have made. And you said that you wanted to wait for the ethics report. That came out. And then you you were not hesitant to say that Ernest Flagler Mitchell had to go, even though you don't typically wade into personal politics. But clearly there are certain lines that have been crossed in some ways here. And so I just want to ask you whether it's for people like Lacayas Sinclair or it's just citizens, 
who want to see an administration that upholds the values it claims to uphold. What is your message for them? I think that we have to do it. And I think that this also goes to my transparency message as it relates to things like FOIA requests, as it relates to uh, expenditures of taxpayer money. All these things have to be um, done in a way that is good. And, and as it relates to uh, appointing people to positions, I am one person that absolutely hates the spoil system. I learned about it in, um, in political science class. I've watched it. I've seen it. I think that it is bad for our city. So uh, you won't see any uh, patronage appointments. Anyone that's going to be appointed in my administration is going to have the skill set to be able to do the job. Um, and that is um, the way we will um, run our um, administration, the same way that I ran my campaign, transparently uh, and with people who are going to uh, hold high standards, but also work hard on behalf of the citizens of Rochester. And that is, I think, absolutely what the public is calling for. Evan Dawson is the host of Connections on WXXI. You've been listening to Earshot from WXXI News. And we want to know, what are the stories you're thinking about? What are you talking about in your community, to your friends, to your family? Drop us a line at earshot at wxxi.org. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast to keep up to date on all your local news. Find even more at our website, wxxinews.org. Music this week from Blue Dot Sessions and Poddington Bear. I'm Veronica Volk. Thanks for listening. This program is a production of member-supported WXXI Public Broadcasting, Rochester, New York.